Welcome to Off The Record. I'm your host, Marika, and I'm a dietitian, nutritionist, and recovering perfectionist. Join me each week as I bring you raw and real conversations with inspiring men and women discussing matters in health and nutrition that are often swept under the rug. Sit back, relax, pour yourself a cup of coffee or a wine, and enjoy learning from conversations that help us to understand the messiness of what it means to be a healthy and balanced human. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Off The Record. I feel like it has been a hot minute since I've recorded an episode. I try as much as possible with this podcast to be super organized and work in advance. And that is the best way to organize my life and everything in it, except at the moment we're running a little bit behind. Um, things have been a bit hectic the last few weeks with a project that we're working on, which I get to tell you about very, very soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, but yes, it has been a busy few weeks, so I feel like I haven't been on the microphone for a little while, but today's episode is a slightly different episode. We're going to do a nutrition Q and A. So what I'm going to do is read through some questions that you guys have submitted to me via Instagram um, and just answer them off the top of my head. I'm also going to be as strategic as possible and also apologize in advance. There is some maintenance work going on my building at the moment. So I'm going to, as best as possible, minimize any um, noise that will come in from that. But yeah, if you do hear any minor noise in the background, that's what it is. Alrighty, let's begin. First question is, could you shed some light on the cholesterol in eggs debate? Are eggs okay to eat every day? Fab question. Now, first thing I'm going to explain with this is that when we think about our cholesterol in our blood, so when we go to the doctor and they measure our cholesterol, there's a few things that they can measure. So they can measure our total cholesterol or they can measure different types of our cholesterol. So we've got our HDL, which is typically like called our good cholesterol. Um, so we want that one um, high. Uh, and then we've got our uh, LDL cholesterol, which is typically called like a bad cholesterol because having high levels of that increases our risk of cardiovascular disease. So there's a few components that make up our cholesterol. Now, the interesting thing is that foods that contain cholesterol like eggs don't have a huge influence on the levels of cholesterol within our blood. And in fact, one of the things that has more of an influence on the levels of cholesterol, uh, and in particular the LDL cholesterol in our blood, is saturated fats in our diet. So it's not so much cholesterol in our diet, but rather saturated fats in our diet do increase the um, LDL cholesterol in our blood. So what does that mean for eggs? Well, the latest research around eggs and uh, what is a safe level of consumption for eggs is that if you are at low risk of cardiovascular disease, so if you know you do have healthy cholesterol levels already, if you are not, you know, a um, immediate family member of um, somebody who has cardiovascular disease then the recommendations for eggs are that you can actually consume them relatively frequently and having them every day is most likely in the context of a healthy balanced diet, 100% okay. Now, if you are somebody who is at higher risk of cardiovascular disease, I think the recommendations stand to date that it is around six eggs per week that they recommend as your maximum. So 
that's sort of two every other day or uh, one a day. So the short answer here is that if you are eating a healthy balanced diet where you're including lots of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and those sorts of things, absolutely fine for you to include eggs daily as part of that healthy balanced diet. Okay, question number two. If serotonin in the gut doesn't affect your mood, what is the gut-brain connection? I love this question. So to begin, the reason why this question has come up is because I did an answer on my Instagram recently about serotonin in the gut because there is a very common statement that floats around about um, serotonin. So 90% of the serotonin is created in your gut. Now, the thing with this statement is that it is, in fact, correct that a lot of the serotonin um, in your body is created in your gut. So serotonin uh, is one of the hormones that is sort of considered the happy hormone. So it's a hormone that plays a role in our mood and then obviously in particular, in particular um, a positive mood. And so a lot of people then think, okay, well, then the gut is obviously the key, I guess, manufacturing place of this serotonin so therefore it must have a huge role in our mood the thing though is that the serotonin that is created in our gut is um, slightly firstly it doesn't actually cross into our brain so the serotonin doesn't cross our blood brain barrier which means that the serotonin that's created in our gut doesn't actually affect our brain serotonin the other thing is, and somebody told me this when I was speaking about it on Instagram recently, it was, um, oh, I'm going to forget her name now, but she um, actually does research in this area. So is very well knowledge on this um, topic. But what she was saying is that the serotonin in the brain and the gut actually act differently. So one acts more as a hormone and one acts more as a neurotransmitter. So they sort of have different roles. So that leads to the question then, which is the one that's been submitted, is what is the gut-brain connection? So just because serotonin doesn't play a role necessarily in that gut-brain connection, and again, it may play a small role, but it's not you know, the big role here, doesn't mean that there's not a gut-brain connection. So how do the gut and the brain communicate? One of the ways is through our nervous system. So we've got um, lots of different you know, nerves in our nervous system. Um, but one of them is the vagus nerve, and that is a nerve that directly connects our brain with our gut. So through this nervous system, our brain and our gut are able to communicate directly in that manner. Another way in which it's thought that our gut and our brain interact is also through our gut microbiota. So these are the um, different types of bacteria that are housed within our large bowel. Now, I don't know the complexities. I'm not a microbiologist, so I don't know the complexities of the gut um, microbiota and the way that it interacts with our brain. But one of the thoughts around this is that bacteria that are producing, um, so as a result of breaking down dietary fiber, producing short chain fatty acids, um, that these short chain fatty acids are then able to sort of have numerous effects across the body, but in particular on like our sympathetic nervous system and on the brain as well. Now, I'm sure there are many, many ways that I will not know that the gut and the brain communicate. But one of the other ways is through the HPA axis. So this is the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. And this is describing the interaction between the hypothalamus in the brain, the pituitary gland and the adrenal glands. So one of the ways that this has an impact on um, the gut brain connection is through the role of stress. So 
when we have an increase in stress, we do get an increase in activity in the HPA axis, um, which can have then an effect on the gut as well. So this is very basic answers um, for a very complicated topic. Uh, but hopefully that gives you an idea of that there are multiple ways that the gut and the brain are communicating um, that is not just to do with serotonin. The next question is a big question and we could actually do a whole podcast episode on it and I actually think I might, um, but it is how to regain your period. The first thing that we need to ask when we're talking about regaining a period is why was your menstrual cycle or your period lost in the first place? Because there are obviously quite a few reasons uh, that would cause you to stop getting a period. Um, one of them is obviously if you're pregnant, you will start to lose your period um, or immediately lose your period. Um, but other reasons might include um, conditions like polycystic ovarian syndrome. It might be because of hypothalamic amenorrhea. It might be because of um, a number of other medical conditions or even things like nutrient deficiencies as well. So that's the first thing that I think that you need to look at if you have lost your period is going to the doctor. Um, so your GP is the best place to begin here and start to inquire as to, well, what is the reason for um, having lost your period? Most common reason I probably would see is through hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is essentially a loss of period due to um, either under eating, either over exercising or um, an increase in either emotional or physical stress. So these sort of three reasons are probably three of the bigger reasons that contribute to the loss of a period um, outside of medical conditions like PCOS or pregnancy. So if it is hypothalamic amenorrhea that has caused the loss of the period, then there is obviously a three-prong approach that we can go about to um, regain that period. Now, the important thing is to remember that this is not a like short fix. When you lose your period, it can take a number of months and even for some people years to regain a regular cycle. Now, one of the reasons why I personally have seen so many people lose their periods over the years is because of dieting and because of like extreme fitness challenges and those sorts of things. So I think that this is something that we really do need to think about before we engage in diets and extreme challenges where we are severely restricting ourselves. We're under eating, we're over exercising and we've got that physical or emotional stress on our body. We need to be thinking about this because it does take a long time to bring your period back. Some people will get it back quickly, but in my experience, it takes a number of months in particular to get a period back. Now, why am I saying this? It's because you need patience in this and it's going to take, depending on your mental state, a big change, um, both internally and externally. So for example, if it's because you're under eating, you obviously need to start eating more and eating more could mean eating a lot more and a lot more calories than what you've been told that you should or, you know, you have to eat by whoever it is that told you that you need to eat in that certain way, whether it's you or whether it's a trainer or, you know, whatever it is. But often that is easier said than done. So if you've gone through your whole life trying to make your body smaller, trying to eat less, for somebody like me to sit here and go, well, now you need to eat more. That is, like I said, easier said than done. You know, I could walk away and tell you to go, okay, well, you need to be eating 3000 calories a day. Easy, done. Like here, this is the meal plan to follow to eat it. And that's not 
the solution if you've got an intense fear of eating more or gaining weight. So for some women, it will be about gaining weight. And that's going to be part of the process of regaining your cycle and regaining your period. Um, For others, it might be more around the emotional stress and the, um, you know, going to therapy and working on the things that you need to do to reduce this toll that stress is having on you. So obviously, if that's being able to um, remove stresses, then that's ideal. But if you're not able to remove stresses, then it would be looking at how you can sort of balance your life a bit more so that you have more outlets for stress. It's not an easy process regaining your period. And I think it's one that really does need, um, it needs a lot of attention in terms of awareness from you. And then also, it's also something that I think that really does need support. So whether that be from family, whether that be from friends, but in particular, I think having a good medical team with you is key. And so that team might involve at bare minimum, a really good GP, which hard to come by, but a good GP, um, a good dietitian and a good psychologist would be the sort of ideal team that I'd recommend there. You might also be requiring a gynecologist at some point, sort of rule out some other things, but um, yeah, sort of building up that team around you and really filling your brain with the messages that you need to be filling your brain with at this point in time, because this is not the time for dieting and diet culture. And I mean, is there ever a time for that? No, is the answer. Um, but no, this is the time to get rid of that and to reframe your way of thinking about health and about nutrition, because you are not healthy if you've lost your period on your health journey. That is something that I if you only take away one thing from this episode is that if your health journey has caused you to lose your period, then it is not a health journey. And we really need to reassess what your goals are and how we can work you towards health instead of focusing on being in a smaller body. Okay. Next question is how to build more muscle mass. Now the ease of this is dependent on your body type. So if you are somebody who builds muscle really easily, then you probably won't need to go to as much effort as what I'm going to explain. But my body type is one that does not like building muscle. So I'm going to explain it for somebody who struggles to build muscle because essentially that's what you're going to need to do if you're struggling to build muscle. Um, But if you don't struggle to build muscle, then you won't need to sort of put in as much effort. So, First and foremost, when it comes to trying to build muscle mass is your training is the most important thing, because if you're not using your muscles and if you are not what we'd call progressively overloading your muscles, then it's unlikely that you're going to build muscle mass. So, you know, you can just do like, you know, little donkey kicks at the gym and and that sort of thing. And the chances of you building muscle as a result of that is quite low unless you've like started with zero base. So if you've never exercised before, then yeah, maybe doing some, you know, banded glute exercises and donkey kicks might get you a little bit of muscle, but that's going to be pretty limiting pretty quickly. Like you're not going to continue to expand from there. So progressive overload means essentially continuing to continuing to overload the muscle. So each week or each fortnight or whatever it is, you're sort of either increasing the weights or increasing the reps or increasing the, I guess, um, the hardness of the exercise so that you are getting stronger each week or fortnight. Um, So progressively overloading the muscle week on week. So that's number one. The next thing is um, also to be training consistently. So 
if you're training once a week or, you know, once every couple of weeks, you're probably, again, not going to be able to see much progress in terms of building muscle mass. You do need to be targeting your muscles on a regular basis in order for them to be stimulated and then in order for them to grow. Now, nutrition is the secondary component to building muscle mass. It's obviously a very important component, but if you're not training, then it's going to be challenging. So when it comes to nutrition, the key things for building muscle mass is firstly eating enough. So you need to be eating more than you're burning essentially in order to grow and in order to build. So for people who have always been in a eat eat as little as possible mindset, you're going to need to change that mindset to eating more, eating more frequently. Secondly is eating enough protein but in particular eating protein quite regularly throughout the day. So this is one of those times where meal timing actually does play a bit of a role and in particular, obviously the timing of your protein. So you don't necessarily need to have, you know, a protein shake as soon as you walk out of the gym, but what you do want to be doing if your goal is to gain muscle is to be having around 20 grams of protein, 20 to 25 grams of protein every couple of hours throughout the day. So, you know, breakfast, mid-morning, afternoon or lunch and dinner, um, having 20 to 25 grams of protein at a minimum at those regular intervals throughout the day so that you can keep stimulating muscle protein synthesis. So all in all, what does that look like? So that might look like for somebody training, strength training sort of three times per week, three to four times per week, um, depending on your, again, your training program and your your, um, capacity Um, it would look like, as I said, having high protein foods at regular intervals throughout the day. So that might be having like a smoothie with a protein powder for breakfast. It might be having some tuna and salad and veggies and potato and those sorts of things at lunch. Um, might be having some cottage cheese on crackers in the afternoon. And let's say we'll do a vegan option for dinner, having like a tofu stir fry, Um, with some rice for dinner. So you're getting in regular intervals of protein throughout the day. The final question for this episode is, what are my thoughts on the keto diet? Oh, the keto diet. It has done my head in many a times. And fun fact is that I actually tried it for experimental purposes. And I'm going to tell you about my experience with it as well after I tell you what my opinion is on it. So my opinion is that it, for the majority of people, is a useless diet and causes more harm than it does good. Um, The reason the keto diet was actually developed, so actually let's backtrack. The keto diet or ketogenic diet is a diet that is extremely low carbohydrate, so sort of like 50 grams or 20 grams even a day or under of carbohydrates. So very, very little carbohydrates to the point where people are actually like restricting carrots and those sorts of things because they're too high carb, which is just absurd. Um, And yeah, it's now promoted, I guess, as a weight loss diet. So go keto and lose weight. The thing is, the reason why the ketogenic was actually developed was to help with epilepsy in children when medication was not helping. It was a way for them to be able to control seizures without, um, you know, when epilepsy was uh, not responsive to medication. So that was the reason it was developed. Uh, It has obviously been transported a long way from there. Um, And yeah, as I said, it's used 
primarily today as a weight loss diet. So the thing is, is it effective in helping people lose weight? Well, any way of eating that I guess helps you to stick to a lower calorie intake is going to help you lose weight. So for example, if going on a ketogenic diet means that you are no longer eating burgers and chips and chocolate and lollies and you actually end up reducing your total calorie intake, then yeah, it's going to help you to lose weight. The thing is that how sustainable is it that, you know, that you're having to watch how many carrots you eat in a day? Like, is that really the lifestyle that you want to live? Um, For me, definitely not. I love my carbs and I would be not alive today if it wasn't for carbohydrates. Like they literally keep me going. So it's definitely not for me. Um, But like, you know, if you live that way, if you genuinely disdain carbohydrates i don't think we could ever be friends but if you don't like them and you love eating in a way that is high protein and high in healthy fats and this is where we really need to distinguish you know what is your diet looking like because in order to be healthy and on a ketogenic diet you'd really want to be trying to focus on the healthy fats so things like your um, avocados your extra virgin olive oils your nuts and seeds as opposed to like cream and bacon and those sorts of things So before we wrap up this episode, I want to tell you about my experience with um, doing keto for a couple of weeks. It was hilarious. I was about 23 at the time, I think, and I was studying dietetics. And it's not something that I would recommend to anyone. It was literally an experiment that I wanted to do that somebody that I knew had put me up to. Um, And I took on the challenge head on because I was like, you know what? I want to say that I've tried this and I want to say that... You know, I, I wanted to see like all of these people at times, sort of when keto like had made a resurgence and everyone was talking about in the gym and everything like that, like, oh, you know, it gives me so much energy and, you know, I can go for hours and my life has changed. I've got so much more clarity and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, I call bullshit, but I'm not one to sit here and call bullshit and not give it a crack. So <laughs> here we go. I'm going to try this. Anyway, I went out, I remember, I I remember this day so vividly. I went out and I bought all of like the fruits and, sorry, not fruits, not allowed fruit. God, who am I? Um, Sorry, all of the low carb vegetables that I was allowed to eat and all of the protein and fats and those sorts of things. And as I said earlier, I'm definitely a carb lover. Like my body runs on carbs. And so here I am like thinking, how am I actually even going to eat enough in a day? Because I don't really like high fat foods. Like they're not that appetizing to me high carb hell yeah but high fat not really my thing anyway so i had got all my i worked out what i was going to have and i was going to do cheer pudding for breakfast and i was going to have um i can't even remember what i was going to have but i'd sort of worked out ways to strategically i guess include foods that i think that i would have still got some pleasure from whilst doing this and i said to myself i'm going to commit to three weeks of it because I figured that it would take a little bit of time to get into like the state of ketosis and I knew that it would be um, a rough ride getting into it. So I was training at the time. Um, This was again back when I was young and fit and had all the energy. Um, I was training most days at that time and I was training pretty intensely. Like I was yeah, killing myself in the gym, Um, something I would not have the energy for these days. And um, the first day that I decided to start, I remember by that afternoon, no, not that afternoon, the next day, sorry, the, the, the day following that I began, um, so about 24 hours later, 
I was sitting on the couch and I was like, I'm so hungry, like ravenously hungry. And I was sitting there thinking about my future clients. As I said, I was studying at this point in time. And I was like, the, the reason why I was doing it was just to, I guess, prove a point. Um, I'm a bit stubborn like that. Um, but I was like, the average person would not sit through this. Like what I was only doing it to prove a point, but I was sitting there and I'd literally just eaten this huge meal, but emotionally I felt like I was deprived. I felt, and physically I felt like I was deprived. Like I can't, I can't say that it was just emotionally. I felt like I was deprived. It was definitely physically. Like I felt weak and I felt hungry and I was like, kept going back to the fridge and I was like, Oh, I'll have a bit more chicken. I'll have a bit more almonds. I'll have a bit more, you know, of all of these things that I can have, but nothing was literally filling this like gaping hole in my stomach. Anyway, that was that day. Then the, I remember sitting there thinking, I was like, is this what it feels like to have like withdrawals? Like I felt like I was like shaking. Um, It was so bad. I was so, so hungry. And at this point I really should have stopped, but I was like, no, like stick it out. Try and try and get through this. So if anyone's out there thinking about, you know, going keto, please use this as, you know, I've tried it for us and you don't need to do it. Please, please. Um, Anyway, so I got to the third day and Saturdays were like my gym day. I loved my Saturdays. I would do um, sometimes two sessions in a day. And again, never would now, but that was just me being an energetic young 20 year old who loved exercise. Um, so I'd go for a run in the morning and then do a strength training session. So I'd go home for brekkie after my run and then do a strength training session. And this morning I decided that instead of doing a run, I was going to do this boot camp that was um, being held outside. So I went to this boot camp and as I said, I'm normally training like every other, like every day, sorry. And on Saturdays, twice a day. Um, and I went to <laughs> this boot camp. I had to leave halfway through this boot camp. And the only way that I can describe the feeling that I had during this boot camp was that it felt like my quad muscles had been sucked, like drained of life. And I don't, again, I don't know whether it's because I know about like glycogen and how like carbohydrates are stored in your body that I was sort of like imagining this, but it literally felt like my quads were balloons of air. They just could not do anything. Like I could not squat like I was. I could not run. I could not jump. I was really, really struggling. So I went home and tried to eat something low carb again. And all in all, it lasted about two weeks. And I think towards the end of the two weeks, um, I didn't get it to the three week mark. So whatever to all the haters, they'll be like, oh, but you weren't in ketosis. I don't care. It was awful. Um, But I got to the end of the two weeks and I remember thinking at the end, I was like, you know what? Like, it's not that bad. Like, I mean, not that bad as in I can't eat any of the foods that I love, but like in terms of like I could function again. So I was back, you know, being able to train and those sorts of things. And so I thought, yeah, whatever, like tried it, done, done that. Don't need to do it again. And it was a Sunday. I remember that I had my first carbohydrates again. So I remember I woke up in the morning and I was like, yep, done. Don't need to ever do that again. And I went and made myself a bowl of porridge for breakfast. So just a normal bowl of porridge um, using oats and didn't like it wasn't a huge bowl. It wasn't anything like spectacular. And I remember finishing it. And within about an hour, I had so much energy. 
I was like, oh my God, I need to go to the gym. Like I have, I literally felt like I was bouncing off the walls. It was incredible. I was like, okay, maybe it wasn't that great. And I think that I didn't realize until I started eating carbs again that I was like, oh, I just had this general like lull of flatness the entire two weeks, but I just got used to that by the end of it. Um, And I was like, oh yeah, it's not that bad. But in reality, I literally had no energy. And as soon as I had carbohydrates again, I felt like more energetic and I felt like I had the energy to be able to go to the gym and that I wanted to even like go out and see friends and do life, go to work. So as I said, learn from my mistakes. It's not even worth trying. Anyway, that was a little story about me and my life. Um, But that is this week's episode, a quick little Q&A. Hope you guys have enjoyed. If you'd like me to do more Q&A style um, podcasts, then let me know. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast, depending on which platform you're on. So if you're on Apple Podcasts, then you just hit the little plus in the top corner. And if you're on Spotify, then you just click subscribe or follow um, and you won't miss a single episode. But thanks so much. And I will chat with you guys next week. 